dude, girl, your life, man. I, I'm like, I am. I'm like listening to you talk, stressed. and I'm like, I would. You're stressing me out, just fucking telling me about your <laughs> life. So, but. Okay. Why is it every time we sit down, you have that song in your head? I don't. You sit know. down and you start. <laughs> <laughs> it's like what the fuck? <laughs> it's like a circus. <laughs> every fucking time, I don't know. Every why. time, I swear. You, I mean, you edit. I'm sure you. I every fucking episode, like, at one point or another, I do. <laughs> hey guys, welcome to I'm Sorry What the Podcast. I'm Amanda. I'm Christina. And uh, this is episode 33, right? I don't know why you went Kermit the Frog there. (laughs) Heidi ho there, neighbor. (laughs) And now you went home improvement. (laughs) Um, It was home improvement, Kermit the Frog style. So Kermit (laughs) was the neighbor. Mr. Wilson! uh Uh-huh, that's what he would sound like. Kermit Wilson. Heidi ho! (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Anyway. How was your week? It's fine. It was good. And I mean, it was busy until like last night when I nearly passed out in Target. That was scary. I legit like I was fine. Got out of my car and I was like, I feel kind of shaky. I must need to eat. And then like I was walking into Target and my chest got really tight and I felt like I couldn't breathe. And I was like, well, this is weird. And I get a tar- cart and then I black out. Like I legit. Bl- Normally I joke about blacking out in Target because I buy like $180 worth of stuff. Like, oh, I was like, oh. I must have blacked out. No, I legit blacked out. And then I. The next thing I remember is being in line, checking out, and I had a bag of M&M's and I was, like, eating them before I had p- purchased them. And then, like, I'm in my car and I, like, crank the AC and I'm, like, pouring sweat, like, my hair is wet. Like, just, like, shoveling M&M's in my mouth like a fat kid trying to, like, get my sugar up. And then I literally just laid in my car for, like, 45 minutes. And then, like, I was trying to call my parents to be like, hey, can someone come get me? Because I probably shouldn't drive and no one was answering their phones. So then I just drove so home. you just waited until you were feeling not so die. Until I, yeah, <laughs> until I didn't feel like I was going to pass out and or having a heart attack. And then I was, like, super shaky the whole way home. I came home and ate dinner and I'm just like, now I'm exhausted. Like, I could barely keep my eyes awake. And then this morning I woke up at five and I was like, I'm going to go to work. And I stood up and I was like, nope, I'm going to pass out. And then I went to the kitchen and I, like, sat down and I was, like, trying to make toast. But, like, I had, like, tunnel vision. It was the weirdest thing ever. And my mom's like, did you not go to work? And I was like, no, you almost found me passed out on the kitchen floor again. And she's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? I'm like, I don't know, Linda. I think there's something wrong with my blood sugar. Like, I think I I I need to get my blood sugar checked out. So I've just been trying to, like, I ate at, like, 5 a.m. And then I woke up at, like, 9 and I was like, okay, I need to eat again. Like, I'm just going to try and eat every three hours. Right, keep keep myself, like. (laughs) It was weird. I was like, this is weird. I don't like this. See, and that's kind of how my vision gets, right, like, when I'm getting a migraine before Mm -hmm. I actually have the pain from one. So I always know when it's about to happen. I always lose vision. When I get that, like, weird tunnel vision. And then I lose my vision on in my one eye but like yeah. first I get this weird like prism that's the aura but it's like I can focus here but if I'm looking anywhere else it looks like everything is like that's weird it's like wiggly wormy looking yeah that's why I don't dare drive at night yeah. if I have a headache and I know that it's getting to that point mm-hmm. because all the lights do this 
Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> That's fucking weird. Yeah, it's like I'm looking through glasses that are not the right prescription. Oh. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I don't like, like that. pulsating. It's, I don't know. How's your week? Shit, but it's fine. We're not gonna <laughs> dwell on it or give details because nobody cares. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it, right. was, it was rough, but it's gonna be okay. It's one of those things it'll pass and it'll be fine. This too shall pass. Exactly. So not really worth going into too much. Word, homie. For shiz. <laughs> It's like, so, so don't ask, bitch. It's fucking fine, all right? I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. I'm fine between allergies and, like, crying this week. My eyes are so irritated. They're kind of puffy. Yeah. They're you so... Got, you got kind of like a puffy eye thing. I swear I have tried every single allergy meds that I could find to see if it do- makes a difference, and nothing's doing anything for me right now. Just real itchy all the time. Just itchy all the time. (laughs) So itchy. Uh, Man, your life. I can't. (laughs) Yeah, you know the deets. I do. I don't not. I don't not know what the fuck's going on. Right. (laughs) But it'll be okay. It'll be alright. I can't stop yawning. It's not good for the podcast, man. Here, I'll just sing a lullaby to you. I will. Pret- Alex sings that to Lukey when he's sad, and it's so cute. She used to sing to it, him, sing him that while he was in the tummy, wasn't yeah. Didn't she? Yeah, yeah. She's the cutest. Yeah, she is. Oh, you know who else is the cutest? Me. No. Well, that's my other niece. You, but all right, my other niece Tessa. Uh huh. She got. She had to. She was. Yep. Her tongue was a little bit shorter, so they cut it, like, the tongue-tied thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Like, she could talk before, but it was kind of... She's had struggles with, like, enunciating and getting well, yeah, work, you know? Tongue doesn't and work right. now that they figured that out, she's still, like, working with it. She's working with a speech therapist and stuff. But she has therapy. literally the sweetest voice. I could listen to her talk all day long, and she just... Is it just very calm? Yeah, and it's just, like, the tone and just the way she talks. She's just the sweetest little thing. I can't. I get to see her in October, and I'm so excited. Yeah, you do. All right, well, man. Should we jump in? Yeah, we got, we I don't think we got... Do. I don't think we have any other things we need to talk about. Um, okay. No, I think we're good. Shall what we? are our stats like? I can't stop yawning. You're boring me. Just fucking got here. <laughs> um, no, they're good. We're over three thousand now. I think we're almost at thirty one hundred, thirty two hundred. All right. Shall we jump right in? Yes, please tell I'm me. I'm not gonna tell you who this is. Okay. Because you know it. Okay. You've heard it. I know you have, because I know my favorite murder did it. It's a I Survive story, but it's also a serial killer, and it's a mixture of things. It's also the one, like, the last night, or last week on the, um, our short episode, mm-hmm. where I said the, um, he's the second to be executed in Florida in the last, and I was like, I'm not gonna tell you who the first was, because I'm gonna look it up. Okay. I looked it up. Here, here she here she is. So you, you've you heard, I know you've heard of this, but I want to see how long it takes you to figure it out. 
I'm not going to know names, but I'm sure going to try. Okay, you're going to, about halfway through, I'm thinking. So I'm starting with, I'm telling the story kind of backwards. Okay, you tell so it how, I, whatever works best for you, girl. All right, I'm going to, it's just going to, we're going to dive right in. You ready? I'm ready. On Mother's Day, May 13th, 1984, a couple of teenage boys were walking across a field near I-75 in southeast Tampa, Florida, mm-hmm. and they noticed a bad smell in the air. Wonder what that is. They went closer to look into it because they're boys and they were curious. Right. Um, And it was a construction area uh, and they realized that the blackened thing in the weeds they were looking at wasn't a deer or a cow, but the mangled remains of a nude woman. So obviously they ran home to their parents. Uh, The body... Um, one investigated was estimated to have lain in that spot for three days. It was infested with maggots, mm-hmm. uh, especially around the face, which made identification difficult. Uh, she was found face down. Her wrists were tied together loosely behind her back, um, about eight inches apart, and a noose was draped three times around her neck. Uh, it was used as it appeared to have been used as a leash with a hangman slipknot, uh, and the Florida sun and insects had basically. So a leash when she was alive, or a leash to lead to pull the body someplace? They weren't really clear. Okay. So Captain Gary, Gary Terry, and Detective <laughs> Lee Baker, that just, when I read it out loud, I was like, Gary Terry, huh? All right, cool. Uh, from the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office, came to the scene. They examined the remains. Uh, there was severe bruising prior to her death. Um, the victim had been severely beaten. The rope tying her wrists were was different from the rope around her neck. Um, there was a white silk cloth found around her face um, that was used as a gag. Uh, the young woman and her hips had been broken to allow for both of her legs to be pulled out at right angles to her body. What the fuck? She So she looked like a piece from Tetris. Yeah. That's well, what I'm imagining is that like T one. Yeah. Oh my god. And um, they think it was posed that way, like, for shock value. Um, It was likely that she had been raped, but they had to wait for the autopsy to confirm. Right. Um, At the scene, it was, they found a set of tire tracks that led into and out of the field. They cast plaster tire impressions, noted that the front and rear tires had a standard tread design, while the left rear tire had an unusual tread design. Um... The medical examiner, Charles Digg, performed the autopsy and stated the cause of death as best as he could tell was strangulation. The victim had been raped, um, and it was very difficult to tell her race or age, but he thought she may be Asian. Okay. I suppose with the face being basically taken apart by the... You can't even, like, look at facial structure. Right. Um... Captain Terry contacted uh, Special Agent Michael P. Malone, who was a fiber analysis at the FBI lab, and he agreed to examine the evidence. He located a red trilobal nylon fiber on the scarf and concluded that it was probably from the type of cheap carpeting used in automobiles. Okay. Uh, Perhaps one that had been transported the victim to the dump site. There was a missing persons report for a young Asian female filed by John Cochran, um, who appeared to match the victim's physical features. So his DNA was not yet 
in use. Her fingerprints were used to confirm that her identity was Win Thi Long, also known as Lana Long. Um, she was 20 years old and had worked as a dancer at the Scott Sly Fox Lounge in Tampa. Okay. Uh, they discovered that she was a drug addict. She had also been trying to raise money to return to her family in California. Uh, they assumed that she had been asking men who liked watching her to give her money and had met the wrong person at the wrong time. In addition, she had no car. She often looked for rides. Um, and she was last seen leaving a bar called CeCe's. Her boyfriend was briefly a suspect. However, his alibi checked out. Uh, and at this point in the investigation, she was basically just one, a one of number of girls who were getting murdered in Tampa at that time. It was kind of one of the, her occupation, the drugs she was doing, right? kind of, no one really thought much about it. Uh, however, in, within two weeks, that status would change. So a construction worker came across another female body on May 27th, 1984, um, it was left in a lover's lane near Plant City, north of I-4 in Hillsborough County. Um, the officials arrived to examine the scene, and they soon realized that it was oddly familiar. Uh, the mostly nude woman was on her black back, clad in a... She had a green shirt, which had been ripped up the front and pulled back, leaving her arms in the sleeves to bind them. Her wrists had been tied behind her back, and once again, a rope had been wound three times around her neck. Uh, like the first crime scene, the ropes used to bind her and strangle her were different types. The leash-like rope around her neck had been partially cut by a knife, possibly with the same weapon used to cut her neck and cheeks. Um, among her most serious wounds was a wide slicing cut to the neck, almost a foot long, that had severed a large blood vessel, and she had a massive blunt trauma injury over her left ear. Okay. Um, she, she was stabbed, strangled, and beaten to death, um, and was posed similar to the first girl. So her legs were also, or her hips were also broken. Yep, she wore next to nothing. She had a blood-stained white jumper and white pantyhose were found hanging from a tree limb and were assumed to have been hers. Um, there were also traces of reddish fiber lying near her left breast as well as several strands of hair on her stomach and under her right hand. Um, these would also be used to be analyzed. Um, and the material under her fingernails. Um, print The tire tracks were left at the scene. Um, there was also a bare footprint found in the mud. Uh, plaster casts were made of all of those impressions. Um, one of it, which was a clear V with more indistinct letters. Okay. <clears throat> um, this... so did, did the red fibers match? Yes. Okay, so they did connect it that way too. Mm-hmm. Um, this time they had found the body more quickly. She was estimated to have been for just about 12 hours. An autopsy revealed that her skull had received five brutal blows that she had been strangled at or near the time of death. She had also been raped. Uh, the official cause of death was determined to be asphyxiation and severe head injuries. Okay. Uh, a report went out for a Jane Doe. Doe? A Jane Doe? Doe? Offering... Identifiers such as being in her late teens, five foot to five inches tall, 119 pounds with dark brown hair and eyes. Um, the victim was identified by another girl working the streets as Michelle Denise Sims, a 22-year-old with a drug habit. 
Having been in the city only two days, she was last seen talking to two white men near Kennedy Boulevard. Her high-risk lifestyle had made her kind of an easy target. Right. Um, as well as throwing up hurdles to solving her murder. Um, because there were good matches between the tire impressions from both scenes, so the casts were sent to an expert in Ohio... Um, the right rear tire was a Goodyear Viva tire, while the left rear tire was a Vogue tire, an expensive tire exclusive to Cadillacs. This kind of individualizing evidence would definitely help mm-hmm. in the future finding the suspect. As long as he doesn't get a tire change. Right. There was also a close match on the fiber evidence. The red fiber found on both bodies indicated that these two women had a killer in common. Um... They also found a different type of red fiber for on Michelle Sims' body, which indicated that the, the vehicle probably cont- contained two different types of carpet fibers. Okay, so like the mats One in and the trunk the one and one in the oh, floor okay. or on the back. Um, also with, with Sims' body, semen stains were found on Sims' clothing, indicating that the killer had an AB blood type. Okay. The hairs found on Sims were eight-inch-long brown cranial hairs identified as Caucasian, but they and they did not belong to her. Eight inches long, huh? Mm-hmm. Uh, wh- because they had, with um, Long's case, brought in the FBI to help with the fiber analysis, um, they actually asked for the help from the behavioral science unit almost right away. Right. Um, Since the FBI had already been involved via the fiber analysis... Um, they asked the behavioral science unit um, who was interested in the possibility of getting in on a serial killer case before it escalated so they could kind of start from the beginning. Right. Um, And no one at this point knew that they were already actually looking for this man as a notorious rapist. Okay. So they had already been searching and they didn't know at this point that it was the same person. This is in Florida, correct? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. On June 2nd, the pre- the press ran a news report that indicated how seriously they were taking the investigation. Um, the Hills County, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office sent a summary of the common factors from the crime scenes to the BSU. And agents there worked up a pri- profile, and they actually, I was able to pull the full profile. So I'm going to read it because Ooh, I find ready. it very interesting. The agents thought the factors from both cases that were most important to their analysis were the victims had to depend on others for transportation. They were essentially nude when found. They had been similarly bound while one was posed. They had been picked up in Tampa. They had been left near interstate highways and rural areas. They were t- there were tire tread impressions at both scenes. They were found at quite a distance from where they were last seen. And carpet fibers confirmed the relationship of the crimes. From these facts, it was clear that the killer was mobile and had probably and probably had or borrowed a vehicle, the leash-like ropes around the necks and the brutal beatings that exceeded what was necessary to kill them showed a certain deviance. It seems more likely that the victims had been randomly selected because they were easy prey than that they were known to the killer. They determined he was to be a white male in his mid-twenties, gregorious, extroverted, and manipulative. In general, he seemed to be what they classified as organized. He would operate normally in society, but would be argumentative, self-centered, and exhibit little to no emotion, all common to a psychopath. Being narcissistic, he would want to be the center of attention. He would also be impulsive, albeit not sufficiently to risk being caught. It was likely that he lied easily and had a macho self-image. He might even have tattoos that affect to that effect and carry a weapon as a statement of his manhood. At best, he'd have a high school education 
if he'd even tried college, it was likely he had trouble adjusting to the discipline that would and dropped out. He would be intelligent, but have issues with authority. He may have been a truant and disruptive. In keeping with his self-image, he would probably take masculine jobs or a job where his manipulative skills would be useful. He probably had difficulty holding down a job and would have had multiple short-term employments. As a child, he probably was a delinquent and difficult to control and exhibited resentment toward efforts to impose discipline, and he may have had a history of bedwetting, arson, and animal cruelty. Uh, if he had served in the military, he would have joined a masculine unit such as the Marine Corps. Even here, his issues with authority would have gotten him into con confrontations. Okay. Uh on the issue of relationships and in tradition of organized killers, he probably would have a woman in his life. He would date regularly but not have long-term commitments. He would brag about his sexual exploits and probably date younger women. If married, he would be unfaithful, and his chosen type of woman would be dependent and easily controlled. <clears throat> they believed that his car choice would be flashy like a sports car. And it was also likely that he would have a prison record or some record of problems with law prior to these murders. He may have committed neighborhood crimes such as voyeurism or burglary, yet if he was ever in jail, he would have been a model, albeit manipulative prisoner. It sounds like Alcala. <coughs> it's not. But it's not. I know. Location, no. it's yeah. not. But it sounds a lot like yeah. him. Like a profile of him. I know, but these are just like, I just find these profiles so interesting that they can that's determine would, all of this from like. That's what I would love to do with my life. Uh, so they believe that in these crimes, he was sadistic. He probably used some scheme to lure women into his car and then proceed to torture them mentally and physically, keeping okay, them alive. Bundy. Right? For some period of time, he would leave little to no evidence behind. In all likelihood, he would kill again. Um, uh, he could be a police buff. After the crime, he may return to the scene from the crime and participate in the investigation, both to deflect the investigators and relive the experience. He would continue his lifestyle without change after the crime. On the anniversaries, as a way to relive his pleasure, he may contact the victim's family members, the police or the media, to gloat. Okay. So, um, in addition to the personality traits and the probability black background, the, they also offered recommendations for interrogating a suspect should they make an arrest. They suggested that whoever interrogates him know the facts of the case well and ask questions with confidence. He should dress formally and appear to be a figure of authority, fully in control, and not easy, easily manipulated. He would demonstrate this by dropping facts from crimes in a timed manner to give the killer the impression that th his entire background is known. Okay. So, the BSU sent the profile to the Hillsbury County Sheriff's Office, but the killer had already struck again, and this time there was a difference. On June 8th, 1984, Elizabeth Ludenbach, 22, who was shy and had worked on an assembly line, had gone for a walk from a mobile park where she lived, but never returned. Her mother immediately reported her missing. It took more than two weeks before her body was found on a Sunday morning in an orange grove. It was severely decomposed. Um, she was nearly liquefied. Um, yeah, for two weeks in Florida. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Unlike the earlier victims, she was fully clothed, but had her hyphoid bone broken indicating death by strangulation strangulation um there were no ropes at this scene and no interstate nearby she was not immediately linked to the serial killer she was also not a prostitute drug addict hitchhiker or dancer um only later would her clothing be checked and found to have the same two types of red fibers that would link her to the case okay 
Um, there was then a pause for several months before any more victims were linked to the killer. Okay. The four sediment remains were found on October 7th by a ranch hand at a cattle ranch. The body had been dead for nearly a week and had been shoved under a barbed wire fence and was lying face down. Her head was a mass of maggot activity. Her clothing had been scattered. Her panties were left on the... Oh, I hate that word. Panties! Ugh. Were left on the fence, her bra on the gate. The girl had been raped and strangled and then killed with a shot to the back of her head, which was a different method of killing. Yeah. Not very hands-on um, in comparison. She was identified by her fingerprints as Chanel Devin Williams, uh, an 18-year-old African-American who had been released from jail after being arrested for prostitution, which is also odd. I was going to say a different race is weird. Right, because they rarely... they rarely, Outside. Outside their race, yes. Unless it's exclusively because of racist reasons. Right. So that was odd, too. Um, but they did find red carpet fibers on her clothing to match the other and a brown Caucasian pubic hair on her sweater and semen stains on her clothing that contained both the A and B blood group substances. So same. Yes. On October 14th, so just seven days later, a fifth body was discovered in northeastern Hillsborough County. Her wrists were bound with a red bandana and her legs and neck had been tied with a long, thick shoelace. She okay. had been beaten about the head and raped. It's like he's, like, perfecting his method and changing, trying to figure out how he likes to kill. Her yellow sweatshirt was pulled up around her neck, exposing a bruised and bloody torso um, that it, with indicators that she had been dragged on the ground. Uh, she was wearing only a sweatshirt, although the rest of what appeared to be her clothing, clothing was scattered around the crime scene nearby. So that seems to be part of his, like, MO, too. Right. Keeping the clothes close. Right. But off. The cause of death was still strangulation. Was uh, it a sweatshirt? I think so. Uh. Because she was known as a prostitute and a drug addict, the investigating team had recognized her, but she was officially identified by her fingerprints as Karen Beth. Um, to link her with the other victims, both types of the red fibers had been found on her clothes. Also, AB blood stamps types and semen stains were found. Two weeks later, another body was found on Halloween by a 71-year-old man clearing a ditch near US 301 um, on the northern edge of Hillsborough County. This one was mummified with her hair still attached to her skull, so it was difficult to tell what when she had been killed and dumped here, they did not rule out of the investigation, but they did not have much evidence to use. Um, they tried to identify her, but it wasn't until much later when they had the killer in custody that they learned her identity was Kimberly Kyle Hoops. She was known as Sugar. She was a 22-year-old sex worker. Um, she had been strangled to death with the black cloth choker that she had wore around her neck. It's a strong-ass choker. Girl! Um, Did you make that yourself? <laughs> uh, another woman's body was found on November 6th, uh, the next county over from Hillsboro. Uh, she was, there was a woman out horseback riding on her ranch and came across this victim. Body parts had been severed and scattered throughout the field. Ugh. They determined that the victim had been dead and dumped there for about two weeks. Um, and although the note bones had been gnawed by animals, they could still determine that the girl had died a violent death. There was a nine-inch cord tied twice around her neck over a piece of cloth and a thick shoelace bound the wrists together. There were no bullets or bullet wounds, so the cause of death was deemed strangulation. Despite the dismemberment, there were many similarities uh, to the other murders. Um, she was a Caucasian 20-year-old female, 5'5". Um, she was 18-year-old Virginia Lee Johnson, who was also a sex worker worker on this 
Tampa Strip, but she was also not identified until after the killer was caught. So was she dismembered by him or by the animals? They didn't make that clear. I think it was by him because they said although there was dismemberment, it matched the other cases. That's what I was thinking, but I didn't know if they specified it Mm -hmm. all in anything you read. So then on November 12th, a sign painter in Tampa came across another woman's body. Uh, The Tampa police called Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office to look through, look at the murder scene. The victim had a leash-like noose around her neck or rope burns on her body. Her face was severely beaten and her legs were forced open. Her clothing had been thrown near her and fecal matter lay on her shirt. Uh, they estimated that she, butt with it or? I don't know that she had been dead for two or three days and that the cause of death was strangulation. Not sure about the fecal matter or why he decided to incorporate that into it. Um, he just had the runs or something. Uh, or itchy butthole. Had to clean it up somehow. Uh, inside the jeans was a driver's license for Kim Marie Swan. She was 21, and like the first victim, she had worked as a dancer at the Sly Fox Lounge on the Tampa Strip. She also, there were also the reddish carpet fibers found and brown hair found at the scene. Okay, so, so far this serial killer has killed white, white women, a black woman, and an Asian woman? Yes. Or is it two Asian women? Nope. Just the one? Just the one. Okay. So that's that's weird that they're like basically whoever is available and they can get to. Mm -hmm. That's what it seems like at least. So the police worked this case extra hard because obviously they were now at like body number seven. um, And they were desperate to find a suspect. Investigators interviewed people and watched suspicious areas along the Tampa Strip. They used other evidence and the FBI profile of the killer to narrow their search, but to no avail. Um, They could not figure out who this person was or really narrow down to a a final suspect. Well, and it's like where to even start at that point, because what do they have? Fibers and and blood type from the semen? Which doesn't even, like, million out of one, but doesn't always match your blood type. Mm -hmm. Blood type. Right. Huh. Then... 17-year-old Lisa McVeigh was abducted. Wait a second. Okay, go on. Keep going. <laughs> I knew it. I was like, as soon as I say her name. I'm like, that last name, I know that last name. So, Lisa Mc... Well, Timothy McVeigh. But... Right. But no. <laughs> uh, Lisa McVeigh had a difficult start in life. Her mother was an alcoholic and a drug addict who ended up living on the streets at age 14. McVeigh went to live with her grandmother and her boyfriend her grandmother's boyfriend after suffering years of sexual and emotional abuse at the hands of her grandmother's boyfriend mcveigh who was now 17 years old had decided that she could cope no longer with her life and was going to kill herself Mm -mm. no not that one okay um so in the early in the morning on november 3rd she left her shift at a tampa florida Krispy cream and started to ride her bike home um, and I want she had donuts. Oh, that sounds amazing. Shit, I want donuts too. I want Tim Hortons, but there's no more open in Minnesota. No, they're just talking about Tim Hortons on the last podcast. On the last, they said they're all over in Canada. Well, that's the home of the Tim Hortons, you know. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Anyway. All right. 
So she left work, was riding her bike home, and had already decided that day that when she got home, she was going to kill herself. Aww. Uh, but as she was riding home, a car approached her from behind, continually honked their horn, and in a bid to get oh. her attention... Okay, sorry, I just had a light bulb moment. Okay. Ignoring it, she continued on her journey, and then moments later, she turned around, noticed that the same car was now parked on the side of the road. Um, she was yanked, pulled off her bike, mm-hmm. and then she was held at gunpoint uh, as she was forced into the car. Um, the man threatened her with a knife before blindfolding her binding her and driving off i think i know now (laughs) the kidnapper drove her uh drove mcveigh to her his apartment where he raped her and beat her uh and throughout mcveigh's throughout like this whole time she was thinking she was going to be murdered and she realized that she actually wanted to live right um she was like, I realized then that I, all this time I'd been planning on killing myself and I was deathly afraid now that he was going to kill me. And now I was going to try to fight for my life. I was like, oh. Get it, girl. So McVeigh knew that if she wanted to survive, she would have to try and earn his trust. She asked him what his motivations were for hurting her. He didn't even know her. Um, and he claimed that he had gone through a bitter breakup and he was doing this to her because he was getting back at women in general for a really bad breakup with another girl. Okay. <laughs> uh, finally, okay. McVeigh told him that she would have been proud to be his girlfriend and that he seemed like a decent man. Just misunderstood. She made up a story that she was an only child and that she had a sick father she needed to take care of. And with that, her kidnapper took sympathy on her and dropped her off. After 26 hours. Uh-huh. <laughs> you look so excited right now. Uh-huh. Um, so when he let her go and drove off, she took her blindfold off and saw this. She said she saw this amazing oak tree. Um, and she's like, she just, she was like, I wanted to die so bad not that long ago. And now the only thing I want to do is live. And she like got a second chance of life. However, uh-huh. after suffering at, the kill the kidnapper's hands for 26 hours being beaten and raped by him uh she went home and her grandmother's boyfriend spent five hours beating and interrogating her on where she was because she didn't come home yeah and he's an abusive asshole and uh because her story remained consistent and she withstood even more physical abuse they finally called the police approximately 31 hours after she had been kidnapped uh, uh She described her kidnapper as a white male in his mid-thirties. He had a deep voice, his hair was brown, and about an inch long in a layered cut. He had thin eyebrows, a short mustache, a big nose, small ears, and good teeth. He was compact but slightly overweight and came across as somewhat feminine. Okay. Uh, She noted the gun that went, and then went on to describe the car, a red or maroon two-door Dodge Magnum with a red steering wheel and dashboard and white seat interiors. She did not remember anything about the carpet. She also recalled details about the apartment where she had been raped and tried to give officers a hint about its location as well as the location of the bank where they had stopped because he, on the way home, he stopped at a bank and got money out of an ATM. (laughs) Smartest Um, guy. And the blindfold had limited how much she was able to, like, actually tell him. Um... But on a hunch, the Hillsbury County Sheriff's Office sent the McVeigh rape evidence to Malone at the FBI lab to see if there was a connection to the serial murders. Okay. 
And in the meantime, a task force had been formed with members from the Hillsbury County Sheriff's Office, the Pasco County Sheriff's Department, the Tampa Police Department, and the Florida Department of Law Enforcement to combine forces and investigate the area's string of serial murders. You mean they were sharing information? They were sharing information. What? And Gary Terry was designated as the team supervisor. Gary Terry. Gary Terry. Uh, Their first meeting took place on November 14th, 1984. All of the cooperating homicide and sex crime detectives learned that the FBI lab had processed Lisa McVeigh's evidence and found the same red fibers evident in the other serial murder cases. So now they determined that they had more information to go on now from the killer, Mm -hmm. including a description of him, his car, his apartment, and his bank. Um, That profile had come fairly close on several points to the FBI profile, um... And then more important, the place where Lisa had been released had given them a good sense of where to be on the lookout for the car. Right. So, the, um, they determined that they ran, at one point they went back to the bank around the time that Lisa could judge, like, when she was released. And there had been only one transaction at the bank ATM, and that was for the account of Bobby Joe Long. (sighs) Yeah. Oh, man. Who was a distant cousin to Henry Lee Lucas. Yep. While he was young, his mother left his father and took Bobby Joe to Tampa, Florida. They moved around Tampa frequently, staying with relatives in a rented rooms. He and his mother slept in the same bed until he was 13. Ew. His mother tended to be overly protected and... Overly protective and dramatic, uh, but still Bobby Joe Long managed to suffer a series of severe head injuries beginning at age five when he was knocked unconscious in a fall from a swing and had one eyelid skewered by a stick. Ooh. At six, he was thrown from his bicycle, crashing headfirst into a parked car. I did that. Come on. It's not that big a deal. Head Um, injuries, dude. With injuries including loss of several teeth and a severe concussion. How fucking fast was he going at six? Jesus. At age seven, he fell from a pony onto his head and remained dizzy and nauseous for several weeks. He also seemed to have gotten into countless fistfights with relatives and classmates. Sounds like a gem. He was born... You're gonna laugh. He was born with a truly unusual condition known as Kleinfelter syndrome, which meant he had an extra female chromosome causing higher amounts of female hormones. So he... Oh... His and caused him to grow boobies. boobies. Which obviously caused him great embarrassment and he was tormented quite a bit as a child. Yeah. Um, At age 13, Bobby Joe Long met Cindy uh, and finally began sleeping in a separate bed from his mother. What? They dated for six years before marrying in 1974. He was in the army, stationed at a homestead air force base in Florida um, things went well until a series of motorcycle ac- a serious motorcycle accident in which he suffered another serious head injury uh-huh. and came close to losing a leg. And then he claimed that after this accident, he became hypersexual. Hypersexual. In October, um, so I think him and Cindy got a divorce at some point. So in October of 1981, Sharon Richards, who shared a house with Bobby Joe Long, accused him of raping her. The police did not have enough evidence to make a charge. Um, And just two weeks later, he hit Sharon during an argument. He then took a leave of absence from Tampa and went to stay with his parents in West Virginia and didn't return to Tampa until June of 1983. 
Okay. In 1983, he met Emma at the Humana Hospital where he worked as an x-ray technologist, and she was a nurse. They soon became a couple. Uh, She encouraged him to attend church. He, in turn, gave her jewelry that, unbeknownst to Emma, were stolen from his rape victims because he was raping people. He's a raper! Mm -hmm. She never questioned him about how he was able to afford these expensive gifts. Um... In November, in September of 1983, he was found guilty of the assault charges stemming from the 1981 incident with Sharon. Okay. Um, this basically sent him over the edge. He sent numerous letters to the judge demanding a new trial, claimed that he had done nothing wrong, that he shouldn't be blah, 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 blah. Um, He was charged with sending an obscene letter and photographs to a 12-year-old girl in Tampa in November of 1983. Uh, He had traced phone calls Long had made to the 12-year-old and Long received a sentence of two days in jail and six months probation. You know, sending nudes was so much more difficult in the 80s. Yeah. Just like envelope you that had shit. Had stamp to pay it for up. it. Here you go. Send nudes and I'll get them in four days. Right? Like, just hold on. Although you got... I prefer that because some there's nothing worse than an unexpected dick pic. Right. So what if you get a letter pic. and you're like. That's almost worse, I guess, because it came to your house. Yeah. <laughs> you know where I am. Uh, so in 1984, Bobby Joe Long got a retrial in the Sharon Richards case and was actually acquitted of the assault charges, despite the testimony of a number of witnesses against him. Uh, as he left the courtroom, he turned and laughed at her. Fucker. In March of 1984, Bobby Joe Long raped 20-year-old artist Wick in Tampa. Unsatisfied with just rape, he strangled her to death and... That was his first kill, but he was never, like, it was not attributed to the serial murders. So, on November 17th, Detectives Wolves and Helm were on a cruise patrol in Tampa when they saw a red Dodge Magnum in traffic. They pulled the car over. They checked his license. The man's name was Robert Joe Long, better known as Bobby Joe, and his address matched the area that the police were searching for the killer's apartment. The car's interior also matched what Lisa McVeigh had described. Uh, They approached him, told him they were looking for a robbery suspect. Um, So he cooperated cooperated, and and let them photograph him. He was visibly relieved when they let him go. Okay. And now they had information for leads. The tax force checked the bank transactions, found that Long had made a withdrawal, and confirmed precisely at the that time um they then examined long's criminal record found that he was currently on probation for an aggravated assault in hillsborough in early 1984 uh the fbi profile had indicated that the killer they were looking for could have a record they put surveillance teams on him tapped his phone then they they then got a vehicular search warrant and an arrest warrant for the charges of kidnapping and sexual battery um, in preparation to take him, they put together four teams, an arrest and security transport team, a vehicular seizure and search team, a resident search team, and a neighborhood survey team to interview Long's neighbors. Okay. As Long... Eight. So, cops grabbed Long as he came out of a movie theater, placed him under arrest, then the other teams went into action. 
Once they had his car, they removed a sample of the right floor carpet and sent that to the FBI lab for comparison. Special Agent Malone confirmed that the fiber match was exact. They disassembled the car's interior from for them to check for fibers from the victim's clothing or from rope victims, fingerprints, blood, and any other potential physical evidence. In Long's apartment, they which looked as Lisa had described it, detectives located her barrette. They found plenty of photos of nude women, including photos that Long had taken of himself raping some victims. And they also located pieces of female clothing. He signed a consent to interview form and was interrogated by Detective Latimer and Price during the course of the interrogation. They learned that Long was an unemployed x-ray technician who lived in Tampa, Florida. He was married with he had once been married with two children and had been divorced for five years. His former family lived in Hollywood, Florida. Okay. He quickly admitted to kidnapping McVeigh and having sex with her many times. He added that at one point McVeigh had said that she did not want to leave. He claimed that he had unloaded that gun and put the bullets in the trash so he wouldn't be tempted to hurt her. About the blindfold that Lisa wore, Long had said he had fashioned it himself just two days before the abduction, just in case. He had said he did not use drugs, rarely drank, and did not suffer from memory losses. Um, they then brought up the subject of physical evidence. They told Long that the many kinds of evidence they can be gathered at a crime scene and showed him photos of the five known murder victims and asking if he knew them. He said no. He asked to use the bathroom. When he came back, they again started talking about physical evidence, specifically the left rear Vogue tire on the tire tread impressions. He appeared to understand. He responded with, I think I might need an attorney. <laughs> Bitch, you might. Rather than end the interrogation, um, Sergeant Latimer urged Long to be honest because they already had a case against him through physical evidence. Um, he smiled and said, well, I guess you got me good. Yes, I killed them. All the ones in the paper, I did them all. He asked to just, he was asked to describe each case and he complied with the details. He realized that he'd set himself up when he had not killed Lisa McVeigh as he had done with the others. He said, I knew when I let her go that it would only be a matter of time. I didn't even tell her not to talk to the police or anything. I just didn't care anymore and wanted to stop. I was sick inside. I don't know if I believe that. So he confessed that day. He described how he had invited Lana Long into his car because she needed a ride uh, with Michelle Sims. He had hit her on the head after he couldn't strangle her because he didn't want her to suffer when he stabbed her. Described the killing of Elizabeth Ludenback, who he had said he had considered letting go until she jerked me around. He had strangled her with a rope and then took her purse and used her bank card before throwing it away. He described the killing of Chanel Williams and claimed that the gun he had used to kill her was the same gun in which he had kidnapped McVeigh with. Um, he described the murder of Karen Din's friend, who he had start started to strangle her in one of in the Orange Grove, but had heard dogs barking, so he put her in the trunk and moved her to another grove where he finished the job. He spoke of the murder of Sugar, later identified as Kimberly Hoops, who had, he had left in the ditch. He described the murder of a girl whose remains had been found scattered in the field. He didn't know her name, didn't know Kim Swan, whom he had picked up and saw her driving drunk and weaving down the street. He said he hit her several times in the head to subdue her. Okay, so that matches up with the mm -hmm. found injuries. Uh, when the police asked him if he knew anything about the disappearance of Vicki Elliott, a 21-year-old who went missing in September, as she was walking to work for her midnight shift at the Ramada Inn, he acknowledged killing her. 
She had accepted a ride, and when he tried to tie her up, she fought him off with a pair of scissors. That angered him, so he strangled her. He drew a map to direct the investigators to where her body could be found. Okay. His confession went on for 45 pages long, once it was transcribed. 45 pages? Yes. It's like a short chapter book. Yes. Jeez Louise. Uh, during his confession, he also admitted to more than 50 rapes that had gone unsolved in the early 80s between 1980 and 1983. He terrorized Tampa, Florida communities of Miami, Ocala, and Fort Lauderdale as the classified ad rapist. He totally is who I thought he was. I had to look him up. I'm like, I feel like I remember Mm -hmm. his face. And this is exactly the picture. He preyed on housewives in midday attacks. He had developed a successful MO where he scanned papers for ads for items for sale. Um, he used to make, in, I'm sorry, in particular, he was looking for bedroom furniture, which Long later explained was because he would have to try it before he purchased it. He also went up to houses that bore for sale signs and often forced his way in. A few times he raped girls as young as 12 or 13. After he found an ad he liked, he would call and arrange to go look at the item during the day when husbands were unlikely to be home. Um, If he was mistaken, he could always decline to buy the item and walk away. More often, a woman alone answered the door. They often let him in because he came across clean-cut, well-dressed, and respectable. He... Sorry... Well, you are just fine. Practice this maneuver in neighborhoods in the countless surrounding Akala, Miami, and Fort Lauderdale. When a woman opened the door and appeared to be alone and vulnerable, he would pull his knife. He would bind the victims and rape them, often robbing the home as well before he left. In a letter um, that Long had written, he said a few of them got into it and even asked him if he minded if they enjoyed it. He said that while he raped them, he made them talk to him. Uh, most did not resist, but those who did received a punch in the stomach that showed them he meant business. And he said, give a bitch a choice between getting dicked and getting hurt, and you know who which one she's gonna pick. Uh, I fucking hate this guy. Ugh. Getting dicked and getting hurt. What the fuck? Who says something like that? A fucking raper and a murderer, man. Gross. In his opinion, he was doing them a favor because they had such miserable sex lives with their husbands. He believed that he had not begun to kill. He could have kept up with his criminal activity indefinitely. To him, it seemed foolproof. He got a kick out of seeing himself described in the newspaper as the classified ad rapist and the ad man rapist. Even when they knew how he was doing it, they had been unable to catch him. Uh, The police dated the first of these rapes to 1980. He claimed that he had started using this method in 75 or 76. Okay. He said, mostly I did it for the thrill of it, because he especially liked the intimidation factor of his sh- or of his sharp, nasty blade. I, uh, the method was not actually as foolproof as he claimed. He had nearly been caught on several occasions as he fled the place. There were always witnesses. He had actually been convicted of rape in 1981, but in appeal, he claimed the discovery of witnesses who affirmed that the alleged victim had actually given her consent to have sex. Um, Long was let go and continued his attacks. I just, I, ugh. I'm just, ugh. He appears to have raped at least 50 women, with some estimates going as high as 150. Um, and they've, he said that Long, they, it was determined that Long's rapes actually followed the cycles of the full moon. Which is weird. I'm not surprised, because people are fucking weird mm-hmm. during the full moon, or near a full moon. It was also noted that Long would go home and sleep deeply after each murder. 
He, cl- he claimed that when he woke, the entire incident seemed more like a dream than reality. He would then go purchase a newspaper and read about it. Via the press, he learned that more more about each of his victims. He came to hate these women, believing that as sluts, they had deserved to die anyway. And he did not want to stop what he was doing. So after confronting Long with the evidence, the state attorney and public defender's office of Hillsborough County reached a plea bargain for eight of the homicides and the abduction and rape of Lisa McVeigh, Long pled guilty on September 4th, 1985 to all of these crimes. He received 26 life sentence without the possibility of parole, uh, 24 concurrent and two to run it consecutively to the first 24 and seven life sentences with the possibility of parole after 25 years. In addition, the state retained the option to seek the death penalty for the murder of Michelle Sims. In July 1986, the penalty phase of the Michelle Sims trial was held in Tampa, Florida. It lasted one week and received extensive media attention, and he was found guilty and was sentenced to die in Florida's electric chair. Good fucker. Although he confessed to raping and killing women, his confession was thrown out uh, because they didn't immediately get an attorney when he asked for one. Uh, so, but his trial proceeded straight to the penalty that phase. that was going to happen, too. Like, when yep. you said that, I was like, uh, and then he kept but, going. But his, uh, uh, it still went straight to the penalty phase, which was possible in the 1980s. And in early 1985, he received the death penalty. On April 23rd, 2019, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signed Long's death warrant. This being the first death warrant signed by DeSantis since he took office in January of 2019. Uh, All of Long's appeals were denied and he was executed by lethal injection on May 23rd, 2019. Woo! He ate his final meal at 9.30 a.m. local time. He requested roast beef, bacon, french fries, and soda and was pronounced dead at 6.55 p.m. and made no last statement. Not gonna get any greens on your way out. No. no. McVeigh was the only ever victim of Bobby Joe Long to survive being abducted by him. He confessed to ten murders and a spate of over fifty rapes across the state of Florida. He, uh, Lisa McVeigh, uh, now Lisa McVeigh Noland, is a sheriff's deputy at Hillsborough County. Get it, girl. Uh, close to where she was abducted. She said, "I was going. I will." I wasn't going to allow anybody to hurt me again, and the only way I knew how to do that was to get into law enforcement. My empowerment comes from being so helpless and lost, that feeling I had when I was 17 years old. I'm not lost anymore. I'm on top of my mountain, and it feels pretty good. And um, I think she wore a shirt when he was executed. Like, she went to his execution and wore a shirt that was, like, it said, like, about, and on the back it said time. So it was, like, about time. Oh. Ha! You go, girl. Oh, look at you diving into a big name. Yeah. I was like, that's cool. And then that's why I was like, I don't want to tell you right away because you know what it is. I want to like get into the meat and bones of it and then see how long. But I knew when I said who, like her name. that Well, you said her name and I was like, okay, yep, I know the name. And then when you were talking about riding the bike and getting snatched off the bike, I was like, bitch, I know what it is. I know who this is. I know what it is. Could I think of his name? No, but his face popped into my head. Yeah, creepy. I know, his fucking lifeless eyes. Kind of looks like Bruce Larish. A little bit. I'm gonna cut that out. A little bit. (laughs) 
But anyway. But that was good. Good job. Well, the story. You like good that? Good job. Yes. You like that? You like that big girl? Mm. What's up? All right. All right. Are you going to... What do you got for me? What do you got? What do you got? What do you got? Something weird and different. These are a few of my favorite things. Weird and different? Mm-hmm. Oh, me too. Mm, no way. Yes. We learn something new about each other every day. Oh. Yeah, we didn't know that we liked weird things as we have a true crime podcast. Com- we talk comedy about podcast. Murder. I mean, comedy is... You all right? Had a couple little bubbles there. <laughs> Oh, girl. I'm going to tell you the story of Ludger Silberis. Have you ever heard of that name before? No. All right. Me neither. (laughs) Until I happened to, like, watch a top ten, like, crazy story video Mm -hmm. on YouTube. And I was like, well, that's interesting. So, first of all, I want to show you him. I think he looks like Jamie Foxx. <laughs> That's a weird. Okay. Just saying. But I find it very, like, a lot. Like, I, I think it was him. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> it is him. That's weird. Okay. Uh, I find it very, like, Wow. <laughs> Anyway, where, why did it go down a page? That was weird. Okay. So, Ludger Silberis was an African Caribbean. Ooh. A man who was born June 1st of 1874 on Habitation La... Don't mind me. This is... Uh. (laughs) See you later. (laughs) Uh, Habitation La Donne Plantation. So nothing specifically said it was a slavery deal, but I get the sense that it is from some of the wording. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming he was either a slave or born into a family that was okay at one point. Because, I mean, he did physical labor. They said that, but, you know, the time. Anyway. So, near this fishing village named La Puerta, uh, uh, north of St. Pereira. Okay? Okay. His birth name was either August Cyparis or Louis Augusta Cyparis. And for whatever reason, they went to Ludger Silberis. Okay. I don't know. Those weird, like, try to make it make more sense Uh, it's weird but either way they didn't clarify in his birth records what his name was so i think maybe they just kind of made something that kind of sounded like it and that was his name okay uh silberis worked on a common as a common laborer in the capital city of saint Pereira, um close to the volcano mount peli I believe is how you say it, or a plie, or something how like does that. It spelled? I think it's P E L E E. P E L. I think it's Pele. 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 I'm gonna say that's what it is. I was like, that sounds Not right. Pele. I said it a few different ways when I was mm-hmm. doing the research, and I'm like, I can't really decide what, but Pele sounds good. 
On May 7th of 1902, in the evening, Silberis was involved in some sort of a brawl. Some say, some sources say that it was a bar fight and others say that it was a street fight. Uh, either way, he was arrested. Okay. And from what I read, so another source said that he actually killed somebody, but he was charged with assault. So I'm not really sure what, I don't know. I'm not really sure all the details, but everything kind of contradicted itself. Either way, he was in authorities' custody at the time. And when he was arrested, he was ordered into solitary confinement. I'm assuming he was belligerent and Mm -hmm. not uh, cooperative. And so he was put into a single cell, which was bomb-proofed and made of stone. It was built partially underground so that you were away from the light. There were no windows and barely any ventilation, and and there was only, like, a single grate in the doorway. Like, that's the only ventilation So it was basically was. just, like, put on a hole in the ground. Basically, in a okay. sense. It was, like, a very... There's pictures. I'll show you at the end. When he was arrested, he was ordered to... Oh, just kidding. <laughs> that's the same paragraph I was just <laughs> reading. Uh, at 7.52 a.m. on May 8th, the very next morning... The mountain of of Mount Pele <laughs> tore open, and dark black clouds crept down the mountainside and so the on vol- the horizon. Volcano erupted. Uh huh. It started to erupt, and okay, yeah. The second dark cloud rose to the sky and filled it with ash and debris, forming a giant mushroom cloud that blotted out fifty miles of the sun. Okay. They moved, all the clouds moved very fast and unexpectedly, so nobody was prepared for it. There Mm -hmm. was barely any shock beforehand. Um, The second cloud moved upward and then fell straight down the mountainside at 161 kilometers an hour. So is that actual lava or is that just smoke and ash? That is just ash, debris, and superheated air. Okay. Uh, It destroyed the city in less than one minute. Just that. This cloud consisted of superheated air, fine debris, um, and it was a temperature of a hundred or one thousand eight hundred and thirty degrees Fahrenheit, thousand degrees Celsius. All the buildings were flattened, and almost the entire population burned or suffocated. Almost. Except for the dude they put in a hole. In yeah. <laughs> Four days after the eruption, there was a rescue crew digging through the rubble. Uh, attempting to find any survivors, and they f- hear Silberis's cries underneath the rubble. Get me the fuck out of here! Like, <laughs> although he was badly burnt and in pretty rough shape, mm-hmm. he survived and he was able to share his accounts of the event. According to him, around breakfast on the 8th, it suddenly got very, very dark. Hot gas and fine ash... This is... He's just in his cell. Mm-hmm. Hot gas and fine ash floated into his cell through that single grate Mm -hmm. in the doorway. And, uh, oh my gosh, I just can't even imagine. Which just happened to be facing away from from the volcano. volcano. So when it floated down, it was just kind of the, The, what was settling more than anything. Um, 
he attempted to urinate on his clothes and stuffed them under his doorway to, like, stop... Block the gas. Yep. Oh, okay. So I'm like, ooh, you're smart. And he still sustained a lot of burns mm-hmm. on his arms and his legs and his back from the hot air, but his clothes didn't ignite, and so it avoided more burns than he... Like, he right. would have just burnt up, like, the rest of the town, basically. Mm-hmm. There was only one other survivor in the city... Or, no, there were... A couple other survivors in the city. I wrote that after, and then I found that there was another one. Okay. Anyway, so there were a couple other survivors in the city. One was named Leon Comperere Lidre, uh, who was a shoemaker who lived on the very edge of the path of the flow. Mm-hmm. And then there was also a young girl who ran from the eruption, got into a boat, and was washed out to sea with the heat wave. And was found unconscious after the eruption had... Oh, out in the boat. Yeah. After it had concluded. It's like, that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Like, Except what a whole weird family's story. Dead, probably. Yeah, but it's... What a weird story. Mm-hmm. And, uh... <laughs> we're already to, like, my last paragraph. Oh, okay. I, like, buzzed right through it. Not a lot of information. <laughs> but, so, Barris was pardoned of his crimes... Um, after this ordeal, and later he toured with uh, Barnum and Bailey Circus and told of his horrors of his experience, uh-huh. becoming a minor celebrity in the process. He was called the man who lived through doomsday and the most marvelous man in the world. He was the very first black man ever to star in the Barnum and Bailey mainstream greatest show ever. Okay. Or greatest show on earth. And at the time, they act- they had multiples, and it was segregated, so mm-hmm. The Greatest Show on Earth was just the Caucasian yes. people, and then they put anybody that wasn't Caucasian in this other one that didn't actually tour anywhere and make right. any money whatsoever. Um, it's crazy. He There is a replica of his cell that they would bring around with him as he told his story Oh, weird. So that they could see, like, what he saw and how he was living. Uh, Silveris died of natural causes in 1929, and he lives on in history. As I can show you, there's a statue of him. Let me show you his thing. I just think it's so interesting. That's so fucking weird. And I wish there was just more information. But this... Is the cell... So the grate was right above the yeah, right and above then the, the door. Oh, cool! And then the back end is like a rock face that mm-hmm. was in this earth, so it was partially underground. Yeah. So then, when it came, from what I could tell, the heat wave went. Whoosh, yeah. And so then, after it had passed, it was basically what was ha- kind of hanging in the air afterwards. Mm-hmm. It's like, wow, what? How crazy is that? And then there's, like, touristy pictures of people, like, sitting in front of it and, like... Weird. I had never heard of it. And it was one of the most deadly volcano eruptions within the last, Mm -hmm. like, couple hundred years. I mean, it took out an entire city. Well, that's what happens when you build a city at the base of a volcano. See, and that's where I'm, like, I don't know if it was, like, super, super close, but it had to be close enough. Mm Mm-hmm. But... Super interesting. And I I don't know. It's just like Pompeii. I always thought Pompeii yeah. was so interesting. But yeah, that is the story. Pretty cool. That is the story of Ludger Silberis. He's... It's kind of weird, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, sir, how it happenstance. He's mm-hmm. just... 
the only survivor or the one only... of the only survivors. Yeah. And it's just so funny to me how much he looks like Jamie Foxx. It's like reincarnate. Yeah, that's weird. It's it's weird. It's weird. Did I save his there? You can see him even closer. That's so weird. I thought it was him at first. I'm like, did they make like a movie? <laughs> but no, it's literally the like Jamie Foxx's twin from It's like the um poster for his greatest the um yeah. man are those who like survived. burns on him yeah those are the burn scars all over him oh mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. very intriguing and i was like ah, it's loosely true crime because he's in jail and that's why he survived it's an intriguing but story it was just i was like we're gonna just take another week and do something a little less depressing a little less like ah in your face and i'm just things. like let me get you a list of dead bodies and how they were mutilated with maggots. See, and then... is, it, is it weird that that didn't bother me? <laughs> like, that didn't bother me. It's all the fucking, like, conspiracy shit that really gets under my skin and makes my head hurt. Right. I guess. Yeah. Maybe. So I'm like, something that's simple and to the point is more my style for just, like, a couple weeks. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> the best way to not is to uh, not. Did you ever tell... The conclusion of your breakfast bowl story on here. My mom said that your story was very funny. And I told her that there was a part two to the story. But I don't know if she shared it. I couldn't remember if you told me on recording. No, I sent you a Snapchat Snapchat video. You should tell the world the next next chapter in your Casey's worker crush. (laughs) So... I go in the next day or like a couple days. Well, no, I went in this week. It was like Monday or something or Tuesday. And I go in and I slept in. So I, because normally I go in for overtime. So I get there like at a certain time every day so I can get two hours of overtime in. Mm-hmm. And I slept in. So I didn't, I was like running like maybe 45 minutes late. And I go into the store and I'm standing at the like food thing. I was like, oh, the breakfast bowls are gone. I'm sad now because they're so good. So I'm like, oh, I guess I'll just take, like, a croissant sandwich. Because I can't eat all the bread, so it's right. really, like, it's pointless to buy it. But I was like, I need breakfast. So I, like, open the thing up, and the guy, the chef behind the counter, was like, nah, girl, nah. And, like, reaches up, and he had, <laughs> he had saved a breakfast bowl for me. Oh. And then I went up to the checkout. He's so cool, too. I, I went, like, I, I love going in there. I know. The <laughs> and I went up and I was like, oh, I got a breakfast bowl. And I'm like, I know. I told him. And the guy was like, I know. I told him to pull one because you were late and I wanted you to get your breakfast. And I was like, oh, thank you. <laughs> He's like, don't spill it this time. And I was like, shut up. Shut up. <laughs> don't. Don't embarrass me. I thought we were going to talk about that. <laughs> so then the next day I went in and I was late again. Uh-huh. And I went in, and he was the guy, uh, the cook behind there was like, I pulled one another one. I knew you were going to be late again. And I was like, oh, thank you. <laughs> and then I feel bad because Friday I didn't show up at all. So I'm like, I wonder if they saved me a breakfast bowl and I didn't go in. <laughs> oh, no. Nielsen, you're throwing off their game. I'm throwing off the game. But I was trying like, to do good customer service. You're screwing it up. I was like, I walked into work and I was like, either I go to Casey's too much or I've finally been accepted as one of the regulars. <laughs> and they're like, why? And I was like, because two days in a row they pulled a breakfast bowl because I wasn't there at my usual time and they wanted me to have my breakfast. It was, it was funny. So I go in there almost every morning too and get a bang. And 
it's two for four dollars right now, mm-hmm. but they hadn't put anything up yet. And I had already grabbed two because it was like that before. And I was like, you know, this can be for this. And then later on, whatever, grab two. I get up there and the one guy with the swoosh hair, mm-hmm. he goes, bang is two is two for four or bags. Bang is our two for four. He like said it in a weird way. And I was like, huh? <laughs> and your guy was at the <laughs> register. He's like, she's got it. And I like handed, handed him over and I was like, I thought he said bags are two for four. And I was like, that's nice, dude. <laughs> he goes, I mean, I'll give you two bags and you don't even have to pay for them. I was like, thanks. <laughs> I was like, oh, whoops. Okay. Oh, this is weird. I'm sorry. Uh, but I do. I love going in there. They're, they're cool people. And yeah. At that time of day, it's like, the staff. Yeah. Do you ever go in with that blonde girl? She's super nice too. Yeah. Yep. But anyway, <laughs> now that we're just sharing our love for Casey's employees <laughs> and Casey's just generally, general, just in general. <laughs> uh, then there's the people that are probably like, "What the fuck is Casey's? <laughs> the fuck is? It's a gas station. Just get off it, okay?" <sighs> Should we wrap this up? Maybe. Yeah. Quick, throw another down. Yeah. Thanks for listening, guys. <laughs> thank you. Mm, thank you. Mm, thank you. Uh, follow us on the social media platforms, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at ISW the Podcast. Uh, shoot us an email with either, like, suggestions or if you have stories of something that's interesting, feel free to send us something at ISWthepodcast at gmail.com. Um, what else is there? I don't know, man. I don't know, man. Interact with us on Facebook yeah. and Twitter. Show me memes. We love memes. We, if you ever if you want to be my page, meme daddy, I'm okay with that. Be my meme daddy. <laughs> daddy. Okay, that you made it weird. Welcome to my life. <laughs> <laughs>